Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So I'm going to say some culturally sensitive things, so just bear with me, but everybody experiences what I'm fixing to experience, but I don't see a lot of us out there. And I'm not talking to African-Americans. I'm talking about bald people, but bear with me. <laughs> I'm going to take you through the progression. Y'all all got nervous. Then you're like, oh. I'm going to take you through the progression of how you go bald. It's important. Some guys, I look at your mom's father. That'll let you know what's going to happen. That's the gene. If you're dating somebody right now, you want to know if they're going to go bald, look at their mom's father, and you'll be like, ugh, I can't imagine him like that. But that's not the point. Sometimes you just have to accept it. So I'm going to take you on my journey. Is that okay? Sometimes in life, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, oh, well, that's over. And, and, and it took a while. So even though this took a while for me, my prayer is that you will follow me along this journey because I have a feeling that many of us won't accept the inevitable, that many of, of, of us struggle to accept when God says no or yes to what we want the opposite of, that many of us know what we think we should look like. I thought I should have a head full of hair, maybe even dreads on a culturally sensitive day. But God said no to that. The biggest thing, although joking aside, is that how many of us are ready for our no's? Or how many of us have played God only for the yeses? Only to get what we want from God. And when he doesn't do what we want, many of us struggle to worship the same way. Some of us skip church on the day in which we had a rough week because God had a lot of no's in your week. Some of us are wrestling with God right now. We're having our Jacob moment. But God is like, stop wrestling. I already gave you my answer. So I wonder if we look at this passage in detail, we will be able to discover the heart of a man who is willing to receive a no and still do the opposite. And this message is hard for me, even as I struggle with some things that my wife is going through, even while she's home, still struggling with some sicknesses. And I'm like, God, is the answer no? So even when I preach it, you may hear a little bit of not just the raspiness, but you may hear a little emotion. So don't be scared off. It's just me wrestling with the same passage. In verse 15, I want you to pay attention to some words. You know us DTS guys, we are very critical when it comes to this. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. Before I even get into this first point, I want you to understand one thing. There's a couple words that matter. The word struck. So right now you should be questioning, like, did God really strike sickness into the child or would he even allow the child to die? We all know that God can't cause death because he is life, but he can allow the consequences of sin and he can allow and take that provision off in order for that child to experience death or sickness. So don't get confused here. I know that doesn't matter yet, but it will matter in a second. The second thing I want you to understand, it says Uriah's widow. This is important to the end of this sermon. So even if you're in your Bibles, take notes and underline because that name may change. But it says Uriah's widow. We all know why it's Uriah's widow, because in the passage before this, Nathan had to confront David about doing what? And we're going to have to be a little bit adultish when I say this, but we all know that David took advantage of Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife. And when we say take advantage, that's putting it nicely. 
He used his power to persuade or power to abuse a woman in order to have her what was not his. That was Uriah's. So when it says Uriah's widow, it doesn't necessarily sound like it's David, does it? And then in that instance, they had a child. This child was now struck to be sick or allowed to be sick under the provision or the lack of provision from God. They therefore, here it goes. David therefore inquired of God. So let me get I gave you the situation. I gave you the circumstance. So right now, before I even get to what David does, how many of you have a circumstance in your life you are asking God to do something for you? Sometimes we come to church praying that we're meriting our way into God's provisions, meaning if I attend church and if I do what God says and I read the Bible once a day to keep Satan away, all of a sudden. God's going to do exactly what I want. But right now, many of us in this sanctuary are probably wrestling with, will my marriage ever get better? Will my singleness ever get better? Will my college experience ever get better? Will my depression go away? Will my anxiety go away? Will my fears go away? Will I be the same person I am today? Will the vision that I have for my life, the job that I want, all be different? And sometimes you have to inquire because you don't know. That's the first thing you need to understand. Are you okay with not knowing? And many of us in this room, if you're like me, we have anxiousness because we don't know. We have fears because we don't know. You don't know the result of your obedience, do we? Many of us are scared to obey because we'd rather control the results because we'd rather say, you know what, at least it's under my control. But the beauty is inquiring doesn't require you to do anything but ask. So all David does here is it says, I'm putting in a request. Prayer lives change circumstantially, don't they? When life is good, we pray less. We, including me, we pray less when life is good, but when the something in your life is sick. Many of us have said, you know what, let me pick up my prayer life. And sometimes you have to ask yourself a question. If you only talk to God when you need something, then is that really relationship in the first place? Is it a relationship when you only talk to the person when you need something? If somebody did that to you, many of y'all would say what? They're abusing their relationship, that they only call me when they need. But let's get off of that. That's just about prayer life. You don't want that rabbit trail. And it says, David inquired, it means I make a request. But then he changed it or got a little more desperate. He said, of God for the child and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. See, even if we're going to get to the end of the story, because you already read it beforehand, it's kind of like a... um, You already know what's going to happen, so I apologize in advance. But I wonder, when was the last time you fasted at the feet of God? So we can get there about the fact that it didn't work, and you're like, well, Pierre, this is a horrible story. You're fixing to tell me that the child died anyways, and I know that. But I often question if David is a man after God's own heart, have you ever noticed that his relationship with God was so poignant? Have you ever noticed that he had an intimacy with God despite his sin? Have you ever read Psalms 51? Have you ever read Psalms 119 where it talks about the intimacy that he desired or Psalm 42 where he's talking about he pants for God? How many of us have that desire? Or is your desire only fulfilled when you come here on Sunday? Because if it's a weekly relationship, that's not a relationship at all. That's attendance. But let's move on. It says he went before the Lord and he fasted. Fasted means a lamentation that it wasn't just a fast where you remove food. It was a purposeful fast. Now, let's get this out of the books already. Fasting is not a magic trick. So while you wait, just okay. I'll put it like this. I told you it'll be a journey. 
I, start, I saw it, guys. Look, don't lie. Everybody that's been balding or balded or tried their best, we saw it coming. And unless you're just extremely ignorant and don't have a mirror, but you see it. Mine was a little different, though. Mine came from the back to the front. It was a stampede. It went forward. So at first you didn't see it, and then my barber would cut my hair. So this is where the culturally comes in. Barbers in African-American culture have a tendency to be very talkative. And my barber's known me since I was nine. So he said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. That was a bad uh uh-oh. Like, you never want to hear your barber say, "Uh uh-oh, it's two things happen. We call it he gassed you, which means he took a plug out of your hair, or he sees something. Now, for some reason, African-American barbers are known to be like hair specialists. Like, I don't know why. They'll tell you what oils to use, what soaps to use. They have this tendency to know what's going on. But he goes, "Uh uh-oh. I said, what's the uh uh-oh? You gassed me? He says, no, there's no need to gas you. It's disappearing all on its own. So I had two choices. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't get mad at me. This is going to be quite important. Now, I had two choices. I was hoping that God could cause a resurrection of my hair. But then they also have chemicals for that, don't they? Um, So I went to the store. But here was the bad part. I went to the place where it's all in boxes. You know, when they put it behind the glass case, it's expensive stuff. It's called Rogaine. But here was my issue. No offense. First, why do they keep selling it if it never works? And why does no, there's no success stories on television except for the commercials? And none of my friends have recommended. The second thing wrong with them boxes, ain't none of us on there. And this time, I do mean black people. But I took a risk. I bought the box with the most tannish dude on there, hoping maybe that was the culturally change I needed. <laughs> and as you can tell by the end of the story, it didn't work. But I tried. I wonder how many of us try. When was the last time you fasted because you were petitioning God? See, fasting becomes so trendy. You do it in the beginning of the year. But fasting is you going before God, letting him know your request. Also, you recognize that what? You're letting him know your request at his will. It's not a magic trick. That means are you desperate enough for God to say, God, this is just me and you, but I need to remove something so I can have all of you. See, the reason why you take food away, the reason why you don't eat is not so you can go on a diet. It is so that. You can tell God, I will remove what I think is a necessity so that you can fill me with what is necessary. See, David already knew that there has been moments where God has had grace in these moments. There was moments in the Exodus where he would say, you know what, I will relent. And we also know the scripture that what he would say is that God is loving kindness is everlasting. And he also knows scriptures that would say what? God took away his anger because he knew his anger wouldn't last always. So what David was petitioning was not a magic trick, but on the character of God. Pay attention to these facts, ladies and gentlemen, because sometimes we're petitioning God not on his character, but on our desires and on our wants. We're fasting for things that we want, but not fasting for a God that is necessary for who you need to be. He knows what you need, but let's move on. It was a denial of self. It was a demonstration of remorse. Watch these words for his sins. So fasting wasn't just to say, I want something. Fasting was also to say, God, I am desperate because I recognize my sin. And this, this I know, this, you're like, Pierre, get to the point of the passage, and we will get to the meat of it before I run out of time, because there are also some culturally sensitive things about African-American church that I have to be cautious of. 
He fasted and went and he lay on the ground all night. If you know the better choice of word is what is that word is prostration. He wouldn't move. See, prayer is good. And you ever notice that the Bible never says bow your head? Why do you bow your head? Bowing your head is a sign of submission and humility. It's like you go before a king. What's the first thing you do? You put your head down. It's not to look you in your eyes. But when you prostrate yourself, you're saying, I have no position of power. So a king had to say what? God, I am I'm at your mercy. I have no position of power. So I go to the lowest place you can go. So I ask this simple question. When you pray and you're desperate, how many of us go to the lowest position of power, recognizing that you lost it? But second thing I'll ask in that same moment is why does it take something desperate in your life to happen before you hit your knees? That's an everyday occurrence where you need God. You can't control life. And once we start getting that, you will hit your knees more often. We get into a point in America, and I'm only speaking of America, we think we can control outcomes because our life isn't that bad. We have things to fix problems. We have saving accounts to fix. We have emergency savings accounts. We have Dave Ramsey who can tell you how to save your money. We can fix our own stuff. And God is like, that's what makes you not hit your knees. But it's not until God has to make something sick, make your marriage falter, make your relationship you thought was your steady rock when he was supposed to be start to falter. It's not until you couldn't have kids or you think you can't have kids. It's not until you need God to open up a womb. It's not until you think I was supposed to be married during the pandemic and now I can't. That's when we hit our knees. But when was God all powerful enough for you to hit your knees even without him doing something? So I pray that many churches will start laying on the ground. If anything, you know about our world, more churches should be praying more than they ever should because we're more divided than we ever have been. We have let this world divide us, but that's because people have stopped praying to a God and started praying to a political system. And I'm not talking either or because we know I don't subscribe to either. Then he says this. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up. Oh, this is beautiful. From the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. They were even trying to get him up. Put it like this. Take your accountability partners trying to get you off the ground because they think something's wrong with you. But you say, hey, I don't need to get up because this is exactly where I belong. Our prayer lives are so short. Our fasting is cut short. It is put on time limits. We have said, you know what? Our spiritual disciplines are loose. We are like, we are struggling as Christians, but the heart of David is real. Not even the people who are supposed to get me up can get me up when I'm going before God's throne. And I, I don't know if this is me or not. It wasn't until I was sitting in the back and I realized that my wife is still sick today. We're fixing to leave and go on vacation together. And I honestly, that's when I started praying. I was like, why did I, I pray when she went to the doctor? They found nothing. That's a praise report. But then she's still not feeling well. And I'm like, I don't understand. So I prayed again today and not for the vacation just so they can find something or just so God can heal her. But why does it take a sickness? Why can't it just take us reminding us of the word of God? Why does it take something drastic? And can I answer that question for you before we move to the next point? It takes something drastic because we don't we don't necessarily want all of God. We just want the healing portion of him. Now, if I can subscribe that to the New Testament, when were the crowds surrounding Jesus? It's when he was healing people. But then who was left when he stopped? The disciples. Have you ever read the text and it says, and the crowd was around him? And then he turns to his disciples. My biggest prayer for you is that he turns to you because you're still there when the healing stops. Now, 
It goes a little deeper. That happened on the seventh day that the child died, and this is where we have to transition. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child died, since he might do harm to himself? But when David saw his servants whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. And David said to the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. This is probably one of the saddest parts of this message. So many people in our church have struggled with stillborns or miscarriages, and you look at this passage and see the woman and the man break. I was, at a, I was at a funeral one day and seeing the box just this big and seeing this man try to fathom how a gracious God could let a baby go into the grave. And I understand this very passage, of, but the response is a little bit different when you get to it, but he deserved every tear if he shed him. He says, is a child dead? So that's the thing you should say is that God answers. He's decided. This is tricky because what happens when God decides what you don't want? What happens when God says the opposite of your fast and you're lamenting? What happens even though you've asked God for your forgiveness, you still suffer your consequences? We love God when his grace is sufficient, and it still is because we want his grace to be sufficient, meaning we get no discipline, don't we? But then God says he disciplines those who he loves. So then don't you want to be loved? So the question you have to bear with yourself, and here's the paradox, is that many of us have to wrestle with what? Do I love God enough to be disciplined by him, and do I trust his discipline? And will his discipline have a good result on me? Because the answer was no. So then I look at everyone in the sanctuary and I ask, what happens when the answer is no, wait, or yes to your no? Meaning, I don't want to go, but God says, yes, you will. When you have a Jonah moment and God still sends you on your way, what happens when he is the opposite of you? Do you still love him enough or this church will get empty because everybody starts to get no's? When you don't get the job you want, when the resume you turned in isn't good enough, when people are starting to climb up against you, when the church is starting to fail you, when Pastor Jonathan is no longer the pastor you thought he was, even though we all know he's human, what happens to you? Because that is very telling of your relationship. Can I admit marriages are what? Failing at a rapid pace. We have the same divorce rate as non-Christians, and it shows that people don't understand what it means to bear up under. We, we are very temperamental. I'm not talking about exaggerated circumstance. We all know this. That's, there's those. There's sin. But I'm talking about those ones where we just have irreconcilable differences, and it just shows you that's exactly how we treat God. When it gets to a point where you can't agree with God, you'll leave. But not David. So this is what happened when the same journey, you know, um, my barber said, uh-oh, I said, uh-oh, the Rogaine didn't work, and now we're here. I'm in front of the mirror, and I'm looking at myself, and it's time. But I started thinking of the positives, and we'll get to that next, but I picked up the razor, and, and it goes in slow progressions. I picked up the razor, and if you don't know anything about this, I'm just, I'm just trying to help y'all for your African-American friends. They're going to pick up this thing called a T-edger. A T-edger is a razor that gets you almost down to a zero, and I slowly, but here's the thing, I'm married, y'all, this is tough. All my insecurities on this, you know, I have a scar in the back of my head, now it's going to be evident. I tried everything, I grew it out, I did, did, but it is time. And I remember being in the mirror, like, all right, Wayne, well, actually, I went to the barber, and he was like, you ready? And I was like, no, and he was like, eh, and he just still went for it. 
And I felt, I saw all my beautiful locks, okay, not locks, but strands, fall <laughs> onto the ground. Because I had to accept it. It was over. I did everything I could. So as some of y'all see the strands of your life fall on the ground, are you accepting it? When you see the very thing you thought you could hold on to, never make it. When you think you thought the things that could grow back are not growing back. When you see those things start to fall on the ground of the ground that you never thought your hair belonged in, or at least if it did fall, it would grow back. When nothing grows back in your life, are you okay with it? When that relationship you keep trying to salvage over and over again, when you keep going back to the same person over and over again, even though God said no like six months ago, and you keep sending those gentle text messages thinking you can win her or him back, and you start to realize, man, that is on the ground. It is dead. Now, but this is his response to this, because after a while, you have to at least start cutting your hair off. It's over. Verse 20. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. Now, remember what they thought. They thought he was going to harm himself. But let's talk about our culture really quick. Before I even get to David's response, let's talk about what they thought he would do. And my prayer is that Christians are this. I understand some of y'all probably went through depression. I know I've had my low moments. And I'll admit that there's days when I cry, I can tell you I'll cry and I don't even know why. I know it's there. But there were moments in my life where I would cry, I would weep, and then I wouldn't worship. And I know that people probably think that Christians should be down. I pray that when your friends see you, they'd be like, if we tell him the news, he's going to commit suicide, but they don't know your God and they don't know y'all's relationship. My prayer is that you're the opposite of what I'm fixing to say, or you're the, exactly what David does, but you're not the guy who says, you know what, I end life based on circumstance because David changes the script. He said he arose. This is what I want you to understand. It's time for some of us to get up. This is David's response to God's answer. So then I'm asking you right now, how many of you are getting up off the ground when God says no? Or how many of us are still weeping, mourning, and in depression when God has already given you your answer? It's time for us Christians to show the world what it looks like when circumstances aren't favorable, but yet God is. It's time for us to show people that there's still hope, even when we think it's hopeless. It's time for us to start showing people what it means to have faith and not just circumstantial. It's time for us to be in the middle of the lake and seeing the storm surround us, but we know we have a God who is asleep, so let's start going back to sleep. It's time for us to rise up and know that everything's still going to be okay, even if your answer is no. So let me ask you again, are you up today? Or are you still broken and weeping when you know the answer? So let's get up. But not only did he get up, he washed himself. David hadn't bathed. He was in sackcloth. So that means he was not necessarily taking care of himself. But you've got to also remember he wasn't acting kingly. Kingly were supposed to be what? They were supposed to be in their garments. That's what we're taking care of. He was not in his garment and he was not bathed. So what does he say? It is time for me to return to what? Form. Look, your wife may never change. Your school may never change. People may never change. But my God can change you. And it's time for some of us to get back to our duty. Some of us are waiting for God to answer our prayer before we do something. 
But it's time for you to pick up your own razor now. You know the beauty of being bald? I shave my own head. I save $30 every two weeks. I don't have to go to the barber. I feel for my guys when they walk in there have to set appointments. That's not me anymore. My appointment is in my shower with this guy named Bick, and it goes away. <laughs> I said Bick, by the way, with a B. I just want you to understand something. It's time. Because I look at Christians, I look at myself, and I remember the time my daughter, they thought she had Down syndrome. Not that that's a negative thing. That's a positive thing. And oh my gosh, she was beautiful. And I didn't worship. I didn't get up. I was a youth pastor. I didn't talk to nobody. I didn't want to see my youth. I literally sat in the back of church, cried, and left. I couldn't do it. I couldn't worship. I couldn't get back to form. And it wasn't until God said no, like that was a positive thing, because we all know Down syndrome babies are beautiful and loving. It wasn't until God said that she didn't have Down syndrome that I start worshiping again. I could not return to form until God gave me my answer. So I'm asking you today, are you better than me? I hope you are. That you will return to your kingly position because you are still called to be a high priest. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you're still called to be what you were called to be, and that was not circumstantial. You're still called to be disciples even if God takes you through your rough patch. But let's move on. Because the last time I checked, he said he takes you through valleys, doesn't he? There's also green pastures, but isn't there valleys? Stop only enjoying the shepherd when he takes you to your green pastures. Enjoy the, enjoy the valleys, too, because he's still there. Not only did he wash himself, but he anointed. Anointed is, is critical because it means that I am indicating that my mourning and my distress is over. Oh, this is, this is critical for your understanding. He went back. Not only did he wash himself, he anointed himself. Not only am I getting back to form, taking off the dirt, but now I'm anointing myself. I'm saying, hey, I'm no longer mourning. It was the opposite of what they thought he would do. Your mom used to tell you, don't cry over spilled milk. But some of us are still weeping over spilled milk. You can't put milk back in a carton, or nor should you. But some of us are still trying to sweep milk back together. My prayer for you is that you're just like David. Not only he said, hey, I'm anointing myself, indicating in the morning our distress is in fact over. But now he's saying this. He came. Oh, man. Into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Wesley, right? Wesley was talking about coming before the Lord in worship. And I saw hands raised and people worshiping, but I also think a church should not only rejoice, but I think a church should be able to cry and worship at the same time. The church is for the broken. It's not so when you're put together, you should be able to walk into this church at Restoration Church in Bryan, Texas, and you should be able to weep and, and cry over your marriages. You should be able to say it's not fixed. You should be able to say my school's not fixed, my depression's not fixed, my anxiousness not fixed, but I'm still here and my hands are still raised. That I'm still okay with the fact that it's not okay. But my God is better than okay. Because we go back to the same scripture. He said the thorn is in my side, but then he says his grace is sufficient for me. 
that my power is perfected in the weakness so you can worship at your weakest and brokest spots. Then we can go to Isaiah 57 where he says, I dwell on high, but I also dwell down low with those who are broken and contrite. Broken means crushed into pieces that my God sees you when you are crushed and he dwells with you. So you can still worship this God. I can still come here and preach because I know I have a God who loves me past my wife's sickness, who's okay with me being me. It's okay with me being broken and crushed. I can still worship with you. Let's stop making God circumstantial because I want us to be just like David. We can worship at our worst. The restoration we full of people who are not perfect, but people who worship a perfect God. People who know they're broken and still come. People who know their life is not put together. I'm tired of put together churches because it's all fake. I want this church to be filled with people who worship with tears in their eyes, knowing that something's not working. And also knowing that there's no magic trick to fix it. How many pastors have promised a fixing spell or potion, but that don't work? Worship. Worship is not just a song, but it is a lifestyle. But David was actually practicing worship. He sought more than ever to to deepen his relationship with God. But I want you to catch a fact. He didn't break his fast yet. It's important. He wanted to worship God with the absence of food. Because he still wanted the same what? Deepen intimacy with God, even if God didn't answer his prayer. So what does that mean? Fasting wasn't circumstantial for him. It wasn't a magic trick because he was still fasting while he worshiped. you got to pick up on some facts here, guys. Some of us still are waiting for God to do something, and that is when we worship. Some of us worship with anticipation rather than worshiping for your present moment. But let's get to the reason before I run out of time. Then his servant said to him, what is the thing that you have done while the child was alive? You fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. Uh, Sorry, it says, and he said, sorry, the end of the verse says he set food before him and he ate. While the child was alive, you fasted, but now you're eating. And he said, the child was still alive. I fasted and wept for I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. The Lord may be gracious with me. He may relent on the consequences of my sin. I've seen him do it before. I know he is a gracious God. But now he has answered and said no. So ladies and gentlemen, even though this is not the perfect sermon, nor am I a perfect person. I'm here to deliver one message that the answer could be no. Are you okay with that? You can't change it either. You can modify it. You could try it. You could try different people, different circumstances, different girlfriends, different boyfriends, different singleness, different pastors, different churches, but you can't change it. The answer is what it is. And we got to stop trying to change a God who's firm that is immutable, that his promises are never broken, but neither is his decisions. 
that his judges and his precepts will last forever. And once we get to that point, we recognize when God makes a decision, it's a good decision. Now, let me get you to this one. Just because a no doesn't mean it's bad. And it wasn't until I held my daughter in my hands and I still haven't gotten the results. And it wasn't until it clicked. I held her in my hands as she still flicked out her tongue at me. And I said, I will love you no matter what. It wasn't till then did it click that this wasn't bad. It was beautiful. And sometimes what we think is what we want is when it, the answer is no, it's bad news. But with God, it's still good news. Because he's still there. And he wanted me to have the daughter that I had. He had to test my faith. And my faith was trash, ladies and gentlemen. And that's okay. I can admit that. But it wasn't until I said the no isn't bad. The no is exactly what I need. Guess what? You need to be told no sometimes because everything you want isn't golden. Just because you make decisions doesn't make it right. And when we get out of our own prideful Christianity, then we'll start to realize that we need people who are willing to bow low before the Lord and accept his results. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus knew the wrath of God was coming and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So how do I know that this is possible? Because even Jesus himself knew the wrath of God, the separation from God, his father was coming on the cross. And he said, God, do I have to bear this cup? He knew this wrath of cup was coming. And God says, you better drink on up because I can't avoid it. They need it for your people. And he says, well, then not my will, but thy will be done. So then I asked this church and restoration church and Brian and I say, hey, do you have that answer to God? Not my will, but thy will be done. And then are you still willing to carry your cross when you're done? Some of us have dropped our crosses because it was too heavy. It wasn't what you anticipated and it wasn't what you wanted. Some of us have said, I'll only do a temporary carry. I'll carry on Sunday and I'll carry on Wednesday Bible study and I'll carry at small groups. And God is like, that's not enough carrying. But then let me get you to God's grace. (laughs) Because people, when they read this passage... We often forget the result, the end, because the pericope closes and we think it's over. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him. He's still banking on God's grace. Now, some people say he went to Sheol, a place of the lack of God, lack of worship. So we don't know what David meant in heaven or he meant Sheol. But I can tell you this. Either way, God knew that God was going to be gracious to reunite his, his dead son with him again. I bet child, excuse me, with him again. But then I just want to point out one fact, and my time is up. (laughs) Then David comforted, watch these words. What does it say? His wife. What What was she before? Uriah's widow. And what is she now? His wife. That even in his sin, God is still allowing restoration. And then she bore a child we all know was named Solomon. And that son is the same one as in the Davidic line who reigned in peace. And that Davidic line led to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't tell me God is not a God of restoration. So even if he gives you no, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. 
It doesn't mean that he's dropped you and forgot about you. It just means that his plan is different than yours. And guess what? His grace is sufficient because what was once his sin is now his wife. And what was once is dead is now alive. Because what you once thought was dead just because it wasn't the way you wanted it to go does not mean that God is dead, nor is his plan. I was talking to my wife yesterday. We're on a date. Kids are at the grandparents'. It's good times. Went to get tacos at a food truck. That's the only way to celebrate. With her, of course. And I said, hey, quick question. Joke, all, this is, you know, all jokes aside, this is serious. Recently, I lost 40 pounds. It was time. My knees are bad. I actually came here and preached on, a, on crutches one time. So I lost 40 pounds. I said, hey, babe, get my hair back, but gain the 40 back. Or stay bald and stay thin. And she said, I love you either way. Good answer, whatever. Because <laughs> I, I shave my own head now and I'm bald. There's no, there's no critiquing. I thought about maybe growing out the sides because I have this thing called a cul-de-sac, so it, only, it doesn't grow on the top. <laughs> only has houses on the sides. I was like, maybe if I just dread it and pop it over, you know, ever. <laughs> I mean, some people do cone over, cone over. We just, black people can't. Um, And she said, I love you either way. Then I look at my God, and his answer is no. And guess what he says to you? I love you either way. I love you when you can't control. I love you in your anxiousness. I love you in your fears. I love you in your depression. I love you in your brokenness. I love you while your marriage is not perfect. I love you while Restoration Church may never be perfect. I love you still. So even if you lost everything, even when the answer was no or the opposite of what you wanted, even if right now it's still wait while you fast and you weep and you sit on the floor waiting for him to answer, even if you don't know the answers today, guess what? My God still loves you. So what you once thought was dead can still be alive. It just may not be the way in which you want. Can we pray together?